I mean, I guess that's the point. You know, it, it's kind of like... Oh, God. I'm going to need to explain this. It's kind of like Animorphs. Uh, oh in that it is actually... No, no, <laughs> in that it is actually a deeply crushing oh. indictment of the terror of using child soldiers. Um, what? And the, the distop- I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. Have did none of you know? None of you know this, dude. I Animorphs is. The- I, I haven't seen any of this. Animorphs <laughs> is the hardest shit I read in fifth grade. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am not blue, and I'm joined by Red. Hello! This is a very normal episode with nothing weird about it. Not a single thing amiss. And also, our dear friend, uh, Hello Future Me, aka Tim Hickson. Hello! And I am also not blue. Uh, you may notice a uh, mysterious lack of blue. Don't worry, I, Indigo, a subcolor of blue, am here to replace him this episode. Otherwise, <laughs> everything is the same. <laughs> blue is fine. He's definitely not tied up in a closet somewhere <laughs> while we take so, over for him. <laughs> pay no attention to the knocking sound in the background. <laughs> Excellent. Well, on this uh, beautiful show, we normally make Blue talk about his video first, which was a recent in- reinstallment of the City Minutes series, which I... Uh, I asked him for notes on, and he said, nah, it's good. I don't have that much to talk about for it. Uh, he was happy with how it went over, and that is your blue report. Uh, Red, you also had a video go up this week. I did. It was a couple days ago. Uh, the video was uh, Zahak the Serpent King, mm. a.k.a. the first bit of the Shahnameh, the Persian Epic of Kings, which uh, I've, I've mentioned this on a previous podcast that I was like reading through it, and I was like, oh, God, there's so many names what's happening and then i like my eyes glazed over the phrase serpent king and i was like what and then i had to reread from the beginning because anything that was going to end up with serpent king was going to automatically straight up rule um yeah but it wasn't he wasn't even like that bad a king in the end no. you said in the video that he was fine he's just not that great yeah overall. i mean he he wasn't terrible he you know he wasn't like a cartoon supervillain. He was just a guy. I I will say one of the things that actually surprised me reading that is how human a lot of the characters were. Just like, even, you know, in modern writing, it's very easy to like make your heroes nuanced and cool. And then your villains yeah. are like cardboard mm-hmm. cutouts with like a little tape recorder taped to the back. That's like, now all shall love me and despair. It's like, okay, uh, all right. But what's the motivation for this? Uh, and then you get this dude, Zahak, who's like this like tragic villain who's... You know, he had a hand in his own downfall, but he was being purposefully manipulated, and, and at all times he did at least kind of try to do the right thing. Uh, until yeah. he kind of got so lost in it that he was just so hell bent on not getting killed by the prophecy child that suddenly he's all kinds of hung up on this. And it's it's just very interesting to me that they took this character who could have so easily been this incredibly generic force of evil and were like, no, he's a person, you know? He had the capacity for good. That's what makes this sad. And I thought that, that was... was- I, I totally agree, although it did occur to me when watching the video that, um, have you seen that TikTok where it's like, Katie, kill your parents when you make a, when, <laughs> yes. when you, when you make a deal with something, and it's like uh-huh. literally, it's literally that tic- it's literally that TikTok where he goes and he kills his dad, because he's ah, oh, it's a deal, it's a deal, gotta head, yeah. gotta carry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I gotta kill my dad. <laughs> well, shame. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, I, I thought it was, uh, it was a very fun story and it just kept surprising me with how much i was like hollywood would love this what are they doing i mean i'm also kind of glad 
they didn't, you know, because Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Much oh, like yeah. Oh, yeah. Ariman poisons everything it touches. <laughs> like, uh, snakes you- out of stuff. Any any mytho- mythology film that stars Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you just know it's going to be like wildly off. You know, I swear he's done like four or five where he's like you know a famous mythological character, and every single time it's 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 just so incredibly wildly off from what it's meant to be. I have watched at least two of those. The Mummy Two, The Scorpion King, was a fun time. Very did he do Hercules? He did he Hercules. Did, he as... did Hercules, yeah. Yeah, that's right, he did Hercules, yeah. The hot take in that movie was, is Hercules really a demigod? Are the gods even out there? And it's like, how else are you going to explain the part where he flips an entire horse with one hand? Oh, maybe <laughs> well, he's just a really strong guy. Get out of here. He knocks over a statue of Hera that's 100 feet tall. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, like, sometimes, sometimes people do amazing things. I've seen mm-hmm. people bake cakes... Uh, mm. from scratch without following a recipe. It's incredible, oh, wow. you know? I saw like, this one lady on the Bake Off bake a cake that looked like it had, like, a can of soda hovering over it, so anything is possible. <laughs> Humans are a truly true. amazing species. We are. Who says we can't flip a horse? In yeah, way, you know, overcome. anything's possible if you believe in yourself. Hell yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it's funny I... to me how, how Dwayne The Rock Johnson has, like, at some point in his career, a switch flipped, and he stopped being typecast as villains and started being typecast as heroes. When was um, he villain? When was he a villain? Oh, like when he when he first got into movies, like yeah. early on. It, it's a very common thing with wrestlers who get into Hollywood that like they're they're these big bulky guys who often aren't like fully traditionally attractive, so they get typecast as like the scary bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he, oh god, in, in that Doom movie they did in like the early two thousands, like, well, like the surprise. Game. Uh, yeah, like the game. Surprise, oh he's the gosh. bad guy. He's just like this kind of like dickheaded military guy for a while, but I assumed he was the main character. It turns out Carl Urban is the main character. Uh, and uh, he, he turns evil and his teeth get all weird, and I believe he turns into a monster and gets exploded with a grenade. You know, very standard stuff. And, you know, he was also <laughs> the Scorpion King in The Mummy 2, Rise of the Scorpion King. Of course. Uh, uh, wasn't there something weird about how he was animated, though? Like, it wasn't oh, actually... Oh, something weird. No, I, <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean, like, I, I think I remember reading somewhere that when they did it, like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson never actually acted anything out, so they had to, with that 2003 <laughs> CGI technology, just try to make him... And it turned out as this, like, grotesque Lovecraftian sort of surreal thing that doesn't feel like it sh- you should be looking at it. You should be averting your eyes that at every moment. That doesn't really surprise me. I mean, he's in the first <laughs> scene where it's like a flashback, uh, and it, I don't think he has any lines. I think it's just narration as he's just kind of, like, stoically marching through the desert in approximately one half of a loincloth. And then at the end when he shows up, He's a big CGI PS2 cutscene with Dwayne The Rock Johnson's face stretched oh over it. And uh, I don't think he has any lines in that form either. <laughs> so, God. Actually, I'm wondering, is there a PS2 version of The Mummy 2? Oh. And seeing the, the PS2 version of the P- yeah, Let's see. The- oh my gosh, there is a PS2 The Mummy Returns. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm so happy. That's... Go- oh. That, That's that like- means that... The- <laughs> it's like compressing an already compressed JPEG. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, find an image of him now. Oh, beautiful! Wow. Incredible. We'll link one in the show notes below because we got it. We got to <laughs> share that with the audience. <laughs> we got all the normal promo links and then just like two like Scorpion King <laughs> underscore dot PNG. Oh, Excellent. No. It's very on brand for us. You know, oh. we've already so swiftly gotten away from the video content and onto Dwayne the Rock Johnson's acting career that I feel like it's only right for us to plug. <laughs> An image Naturally. 
<laughs> By far the best part of that movie is the bit where uh, Imhotep's actor like clearly kind of misses his blocking a little bit. Uh, so Brandon Fraser stabs the Scorpion King with a spear and he's like hanging over this pit and Imhotep runs into frame, dramatically kneels in his best like seventh grade theater production position and goes, No! <laughs> it's my favorite thing from that movie. I use that gif every opportunity I get. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, okay, okay. To bring this back to your video, Rick. Yes, yes. Um, oh good, someone's doing I that. Was, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask something, because what what nationality, what culture is this was the recent Serpent video from? I don't want to assume just ah. from, like, cues that right, I have. Uh, Persian. Uh, okay. So the Shahnameh is the Persian epic of kings, the, the modern area of greater Iran, basically. Right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what are you finding are the main differences in the styles of mythology between Iran and, say, typically more common Western discussion ones, you know, Norse and Greek? Norse and Greek, yeah. Well, I think that, obviously, the central one is that uh, the the gods in, or the god in the Shahnameh is, you know, uh, well, okay, it's a little bit tricky the main thing is it's not it's not like a polytheistic situation like the norse and greek ones where the gods are like characters running around getting into hijinks uh they're much Mm -hmm. more distant the thing is there's uh, it was a little tricky because as i mentioned in the video zoroastrianism had been the main religion in the area and then it had been um overtaken by islam which is of course monotheistic in the there's one god and it is you know god kind of thing uh zoroastrianism is uh tricky to concisely explain because there are a lot of disagreements as with most large organized religions uh but it's got a more kind of dualist system where it's like okay you've got uh you've got Ahura Mazda uh and you've got Angrimanyu and it's like you've got a god of good and the other one can you say they're a god well not really but they're very powerful and evil and they they are the source of evil in this world and and stuff like that and they essentially you know they're very large and cosmic rather than the way that the gods in Norse and Greek mythology tend to be framed where it's like they're powerful but you know they're they're people they they have character so, flaws very big ones right right so that so so you're finding that there are a lot more kind of like cosmic forces of abstract concepts rather than like people with superpowers <laughs> yes for the most part it, it feels a lot a lot less superheroic and a lot more like there's people and then there's gods and to a degree the people are kind of their playthings although so one thing i did notice is that in the story of uh zahak the broader shaname the human characters do have a lot of agency even though the gods are these like distant cosmic figures like in a lot of greek mythology you know and Norse mythology, the gods are characters running around and frequently, like, lives of humans are completely, like, you know... Blindsided. Inc- mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's completely... It's incredibly easy for a god to, like, completely upheave a human's life and, you know, or kill them or do something terrible to them or have a kid with them and make sure Hera's gonna be trying to kill them for the rest of their lives, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, you the know. humans feel very much, like tossed about by an uncaring world even though the gods are very real and present and frequently caring which is an interesting like kind of internal contrast whereas Mm. the way that um the relationship between humanity and divinity is framed in the shaname is like the gods are distant and the humans have a lot more agency over their life so like like 
Agraman, you has to jump through some hoops to get Zahak to actually do anything kind of evil. Like, you know, the first one is like, oh, yes, kill your father, become an evil <laughs> king. And he's like, well, I mean, I'll kill my dad, but, like, I want to be a good king so people will like me. And he's like, okay, I'll oh, try this again. so much effort. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, he can't just, like, get into his head and corrupt him and make him evil. And even then, like, what he can do, you know, with the, the snake shoulder situation, like, that just makes Zahak's life worse and compels him to, like, take drastic measures so that, like, his snake shoulders don't devour him, for instance. But it's like, even then, he's not turned evil by this. He becomes, like, worse because of the context he's put into. It's like, mm. there's this element of there's always choice. And I think that's fundamental to the belief system because so much of it is like, if humans choose to be good, good will prosper. If humans choose to be evil, good will start losing. So well, yeah, if they, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. think it like, you know, it, it takes those abstract ideas and, and puts the emphasis back on human agency, on human choice, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. because the abstract ideas like uh, sort of become a reflection almost inherently of the of humanity's greater uh, inclinations towards good or evil. Yeah, no, I, I think it's um it's a very interesting difference that uh I mean, in, in Norse mythology, it varies somewhat because there are fewer myths where the gods interact directly with humans. Like, you get somewhere they interact with, like, dwarves or, you know, spirits or giants or whatever. And uh, in those cases, everyone is kind of on semi-equal footing. Um, mm -hmm. And when the gods interact with humans, the humans are usually very reverent. And, like, sometimes they'll mess up a little bit and the god will be like, oh, you shouldn't have did that. I'll, uh, here, uh, you're going to be my servant for a little while or something like that. Um, it's just, there's there's that level of weird personal connection where like in the in greek myths especially the ones that ovid retold with his own personal you know beef with authority there's this idea <laughs> that the gods are essentially tyrants uh and like they they have this absolute power and humanity can't really fight back and whenever they do the gods send things to punish them like plagues or the existence of women <laughs> or stuff like that uh, uh yes, yeah my that's favorite a fun punishment one. existing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I think it's interesting that the gods are, like, closer and more human in that story, and that makes everything feel worse, and the gods are distant and existential in this one, and that makes it feel like the humans are more important. Uh, and even then, yeah. it's like, you got Faradun, this, like, prophesied hero king, and it's like, he's still got choice in the matter. I mean, you know, he's choosing to do the right thing, because he's a good person. He's choosing to be good, and it's, I think that's... I don't know, like, there's all kinds of reimaginings of Greek and Norse stuff in the modern day. I just think that this is a system wherein, like, the humans actually have a modicum of agency. Like, to the point where what the human chooses to do influences the universe around them rather than the other way around. And I just think that's a very fun point of contrast, mm -hmm. just in the way these systems work. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, 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 it's definitely at that point where it's, you know, oh, I'd love to see something other than another story about Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wonder if the big strong guy is going to yes. hit something really hard. <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson cast as, uh, as, the, <laughs> as the Serpent King. How about that? Uh, honestly. That would kind of That slap. would be pretty fun, except for the part where... <laughs> Where he's got to be like a young idealistic man for a while. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know that bit in Brooklyn Nine-Nine where Terry Crews has the sign on his chest saying six-year-old boy? 
Yeah. It's going to be that. Yeah. <laughs> just some of that classic, you know, like, like Hollywood young age makeup where they're just like, we're just going to give you like a really questionable wig and have you walk in a squat <laughs> position the whole time. <laughs> we were all familiar with the look. It's the anti uh, old age makeup where you just draw a few wrinkles on oh, someone's face. Oh, that'd be amazing. When will Hollywood just actually cast children as children? Well, they try that sometimes, but it usually goes poorly. Uh, that's fair. That's that's fair. But it, I remember. I remember. I actually think that like watching films where you know all the eighteen-year-olds in like year thirteen or year sorry. Uh, do you guys have forms? No, you guys have grades. What? Forms is a UK term. It's an old UK term. You guys have grades, right? Like oh grade, yeah 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 like yeah. grade one yeah first grade second grade yeah uh and then like what is it grade thirteen or whatever. Like uh, old... Well, let's see. Eighth grade is when um, middle school ends, and then 9, 10, 11, and 12 uh, is another way to describe high school. Uh, so I guess yeah. grade 13. Uh, Growing up with films where, like, all those older kids that were, like, 18 were actually, like, 25 or whatever, warped uh, my expectations of what 18-year-olds were meant to look like. I mean, I've seen a few people point out, like, there's a lot of actors that look young for their age. Uh, like, um... Uh, uh, I saw this thing about like Hunger Games, where it's like if they cast Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Josh Hutcherson uh, just, when just they were the yeah. yeah when they were the actual age the characters are supposed to have been, it's like those guys look like babies then. But that's the point; <laughs> they're babies. Oh, man. Uh, crap! I've forgotten her name. What's her name again? Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah. No, she she go. had like a serious like baby face. She was just like very young. Uh, like her her eyebrows kind of hadn't filled in, which made her look a lot younger. Uh, I will defend the Hunger Games, by the way. Like I, oh. <laughs> I, I, I feel like the Hunger Games got so popular that people started to like sort of turn on it, especially with the whole wave of 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 the the the, the stories that followed it that that you know mimicked the dystopian story that it oh, told. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it got grouped in with that. But like, you know, I the the Hunger Games did so many things right. Yeah. No, I I think that at minimum I will one hundred percent defend the Hunger Games books. I I think that. In part, the movie was exactly the thing the books were warning us about, but, you know, I mean, there was only so well a Hollywood adaptation was going to do something that scathingly anti-Hollywood. Uh, so, let's see. So that was, uh, that was my video. Uh, you also had a video come out fairly recently, an extremely long one. Uh, I did, yeah. Uh, two and a half hours, nearly, uh, on, yeah. on the cyberpunk genre. I know it's described, it's definitely framed as a discussion of 2077, but uh, being the nature of the, the, the uh, godlike algorithm that we all serve, uh, <laughs> I, I, I had to kind of frame a discussion of the cyberpunk genre within a broadly more popular lens. Uh, so yeah, of uh, did it through the game Cyberpunk 2077, but um, I've been reading, I've been reading, like, uh, books and and films, uh, re watching films and playing games for the past like six seven months, and oh, uh, that was that was all in preparation so I could get like a better grasp of the genre. So I read a whole bunch of classics and and stuff like that mm. to discuss what is the cyberpunk genre about and why do I like it so much because it's a fascinating genre in the sense that unlike unlike most genres, it is partly defined by its themes. So oh, a lot yeah. of genres, like, don't have themes kind of, like, deeply built into their core. Uh, they're more defined by, like, an abstract collection of a few tropes. But yeah. cyberpunk is, is quite uniquely defined by its themes. And I, I found that fascinating. Yeah, no. Um, uh, like, just thinking about it, like, sci-fi tends to have some themes of, like, you know, visions of the future and 
there's no way to talk about a vision of the future without there being some kind of authorial theme in there. So it's like, oh, it's going to be automation. <laughs> it's going to be space travel. It's going to be yeah. uh, world peace, you know, all that stuff. Uh, fantasy is a little bit lacking in the theme department. Like, Tolkien was using it kind of oh. to do stuff like, oh, you know, there's uh, there's themes of, like, magic kind of slowly leaking out of the world and time passing and aging and things changing and good things being corrupted and stuff. But it's like, that's not really a theme. That's Lord of the Rings specific. That Like, that didn't bleed into the broader fantasy genre. No, um, no, definitely. Definitely yeah. not. No. But uh, so, uh, Sorry, continue. Well, I was just going to say that, like, cyberpunk has so many themes that it feels like everyone thinks there's one theme that's the most important one and none of them can agree <laughs> on what it is so it's yeah. like is it transhumanism <laughs> is it about anti-capitalism is it about dystopias uh i mean uh one you've discussed you know books movies um shows like and stuff like that there's also uh shadow run which is a game system uh set yeah in- i got put onto that i, d- I didn't hadn't been aware of it yeah, uh, it's uh, it's interesting. I I won't say it's necessarily the best design game in the world. I think you need about a million d sixes because of the way it works. <laughs> um, but uh, with uh, with Shadowrun, um, as uh, I've I've played it some. Uh, I don't have like a really deep understanding. Most of the games I've played uh, tend to be at least somewhat homebrewed. <laughs> um, but the main <laughs> system of Shadowrun, like the core gameplay loop, is that there are these megacorps. And uh, you are a shadow runner, which basically means you get given jobs that involve usually doing some kind of heist involving a megacorp. You are often employed by a megacorp to do a heist on another megacorp. Like you might be stealing <laughs> some piece of tech or a person or, you know, all that stuff. Uh, very cyberpunk. <laughs> it's very mm-hmm. cyberpunk. The, the the flavor that makes Shadowrun a little bit special is that the, uh, the inciting incident of this world is that magic came back a few decades ago. And, uh, what? So, yeah, so, like, <laughs> some humans were minding their own business when they uh, suddenly, uh, let's see. No, I think the first one is that humans were minding their own business when they suddenly, like, the, the children they were having were, like, a little weird looking, and they grew up to look like elves and dwarves and shit and like so that was already we just gave birth Mm. to another species did we yes yeah and then (laughs) there was a second wave this ended up getting called the x-men approach (laughs) well it ended up getting called goblinization because it was this process by which like some people were minding their own business when suddenly they turned into trolls uh and this like this virus spread around the world and the virus itself goblinized and turned people into vampires and stuff like that so it's like you can this be running wild. around. It's very this is, wild. This is bizarre. I have no yeah. like clue on how to follow this. <laughs> no, like, Shadowrun is a lot. Like also there are dragons now and most CEOs are secretly dragons, which is just kind of what? fun. So you've got your little anti-capitalist thing in there, but it's like you can play like a cool like elf who's put all their magic points into being really good at sword fighting so you can do like matrix dodges and running up walls and shit or you can be like an orc where half your body is made of robot parts but uh they they kind of do that thing where it's like oh the more cybernetic enhancements you have the less like soul Mm. you have and if you're uh uh, right yeah Yeah, if your soul stat drops to zero exactly cyberpsychosis um or cyber zombies i believe is what they're called in Shadowrun, where it's like if if your soul stat drops to zero you basically just become a robot stat oh my gosh can you can you imagine having a soul stat you know i I wish it were called that i think it's called something like essence or something like that um there's something very similar in the like cyberpunk uh ttrpg where it's the how the mechanic of cyberpsychosis works in that game where at a certain point if you if you lose all of your humanity you become an npc run (laughs) by the the game master (laughs) that particular table yeah um 
Yeah, Shadowrun is it's one of those games where like it's got, you know, pre-made modules, but a lot of the game is what you make of it cuz you know, you can mm. do all kinds of fun stuff cuz oh, you're doing the standard It's a, TT, heist. It's a TTRPG, you know, exactly. that's what they all yeah. are. You know? they're, yeah, they're, so they're, like, they're best at their flexibility. Right. So like your merry band of misfits is doing a heist on like Renraku and you think you're stealing like supercomputer but you open the box and oh, there's a girl inside. Who knew? You know, shit like that. <laughs> oh. You can do all kinds of stuff like that. Um or uh yeah, uh, it definitely has that thing where there are very few Shadowrun games where you can, like, meaningfully change the world in any way. <laughs> um, yeah. So that definitely <laughs> ties into the theme you brought up of sort of feeling, like, very, very small and helpless and how, like, a lot of, what, a lot of like, the win condition of this world is just living as well as you can rather than, like, mm. going out Blaze of Glory style. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, the case with, like, a lot of the genre, like... The, the the heist thing goes right back to Neuromancer. Neuromancer is, is like that. I, in fact, William Gibson, he did two stories which were kind of like defining the cyberpunk genre. He did Burning Chrome, which is a short story, and Neuromancer, and they're mm. both heists. They're both Ooh. heists against... Uh, yes. Uh, actually, Burning Chrome's not against a big corp. Uh, the, the Neuromancer is, but uh, Burning Chrome is against like a criminal to steal all of huh. her money and redistribute it to the masses. <laughs> that's interesting. That's that's not very yeah. standard for cyberpunk. That didn't quite make it into the uh, trope space. No, no. But uh, it, yeah, I find I I think the most the, the most curious thing that I discovered when like looking at the cyberpunk genre is that it's very religious. Like, oh yeah. It's, I mean, I sort of like knew it vaguely on the edges just because you know I've loved Blade Runner for so long because oh, it's what mm. is the soul and everything. But exactly. like. There is so much religious iconography built into the genre. It's crazy. Like, I, I did not expect it. You know, like, the AI are gods, and humanity can become <laughs> gods with technology, and uh, our temples are corporation buildings, and uh, the language that they use is just so overwhelmingly religious, and I found that fascinating. Yeah, I think there's definitely... I mean, at its core, with cyberpunk and with its themes of transhumanism and body modding and stuff like that, there is that question of, like, where does the human end and the machine begin? You know, at, at what point mm. does it ship of Theseus itself and you stop being you? And, and uh, those are the kinds of questions where, like... It's not inherently religious, but religion is so widespread in this space that it it just kind of bleeds into that concept i think you know when you're discussing the nature of the soul and of being and and extending your life artificially and i mean you brought up ghost mm. in the shell a movie that i feel like i maybe didn't quite get like i really liked it until about five minutes before the end where i was like i don't really know what's happening anymore <laughs> <laughs> okay so that there's actually a good reason for that by the way which oh, is yeah? that the ghost in the shell film is only about like 40 percent of the overall story and huh. The the 40% that it is, is the beginning 20 and the ending 20. Oh, great. <laughs> which is, why, the, which is like... why you get... You're following it, and then suddenly you're not following it. Suddenly it's, oh, <laughs> what? There's a giant mutant body destroying the city? Wait, that's Akira. We're on Ghost in the Shell. No, that's, that's, oh, that's I'm very so sorry. Similar. There's a lot of... It's okay. Oh, <laughs> oh I got mixed up. Akira's the... I, I got confused. Akira is the <laughs> Akira other one. Akira is the that's one the with one the, the, the children the... who are maybe amoebas who are also god, question mark? Yeah, it's no, very... I, I actually kind of got Akira. <laughs> um, kind of. Maybe because I also read all the volumes of the manga, and I was like, the movie's better. <laughs> Sorry, I got confused. Akira is the one that is like 40% of the total story, which is why it's typically uh, yeah, people yeah. are often confused by it. Ghost yes. in the Shell. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I liked Ghost in the Shell. 
was good. Oh, I liked it too. I thought it was beautiful. I loved the music. I thought it was like very cool how I think the major never blinks uh, because she clearly <laughs> feels so alien in her body that she only uses it for what it's functionally for. Um, by far, yeah. the best thing that you can do with Ghost in the Shell is watch the whole movie and then go and watch the serialized anime Ghost in the Shell standalone complex because the major is completely unrecognizable. They like made her way sexier, <laughs> and like <laughs> if you if you look up that show, like her base outfit is like a bustier and like booty shorts, and nobody comments on this. She's like she's redesigned to have like lipstick and look a lot more like traditionally attractive and just kind of emote more like a human being. And it's like, all right, I get it. You watched ghost in the shell and you were like but why isn't the nudity horny i want the nudity to be horny <laughs> uh, so uh, funny of course you know like how could we ignore the classic scarlett johansson ghost in the shell mm. you know oh, how, God. How, i actually haven't watched it because i didn't even <laughs> think neither. it would be worth watching no of you course a, not you made a good choice i think you like, made the correct choice. it's one of those movies where the best thing you can say for it is that it did faithfully recreate some of the visuals and none of the plot yeah oh man that's that's not the case um yeah but so that they can get the trailer and get the nerds being like hey it's that bit where she jumps off the building not wearing anything yeah and it's like oh I think... yeah look at that <laughs> it's the it's the oh i recognize that feeling that they try to to mm-hmm. get you to, to, to yeah. yeah i i think for me like the cyberpunk genre like why it goes so deeply into religion is that usually it tries to get at this idea that even when humanity doesn't have like widespread institutional religion or that it's not nearly as important that we're still asking the same questions and that we're trying Mm -hmm. to navigate them towards answers in different ways you know um like Mm -hmm. the the basic one being with transhumanism like a lot a lot of it being uh like where do we go when we die oh well you know how how can we create a what happens when we create like a, a digital world that we can trans upload our mind to you know mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and i just i just find all those questions fascinating oh absolutely it's a, it's a very interesting space to explore i i do feel like cyberpunk the only thing that kind of bothers me about it is that it is such a bummer most of the time <laughs> Oh yeah, it's so it's depressing. Like, most cyberpunk stories are like kind of they feel like an excuse for the author to wax existential over grimy cityscapes for a while and I'm like you could be having fun, my dude. There's neon like <laughs> yeah, you could give yourself like pogo stick legs and just go have a good time, but instead you're just sitting here complaining. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, absolutely right though. But like I mean you you watch Ghost in the Shell. Do you remember those like long shots of just random shots of the city that just yeah. keep going? And I was yeah. just like when this is just this is just happening happening for so long is this half the film yeah i think i mean they were kind of trying to do that like ghibli style thing where you you give a movie time to breathe but the problem is ghost in the shell is about 90 percent time to breathe and then 10 percent like wait what the fuck is happening why is she (laughs) fusing with that other guy what's what's going on um oh Yeah, no, no, I, I get that. Oh, actually, it's funny. So in Neuromancer, at the ending, when you're saying, like, oh, it's just about people, it's just about, you know, it's so depressing. Yeah, the ending of Neuromancer, this iconic cyberpunk book, is, like, the main character. He's about to potentially uh, stop a big bad guy, a big bad intelligence. Maybe mm-hmm. bad, it's hard to say. And um, then he just, and then he's about to decide whether he's going to release it into the world. And the you would normally expect that he's not going to release it. He's going to stop it getting out into the world, etc. Because that right. that would be bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the main character, the main character, literally just says, um, 
Uh, actually, you know what? Screw it. Nothing I ever do changes anything. Humanity's all screwed. Maybe this will finally change something. And he releases a super intelligence on the world. That's that's mm. how that book ends. <laughs> that feels like maybe that author was like scrolling through Twitter a little too much. And they were like, fuck it. Maybe the ocean wouldn't be on fire if uh, if uh, Skynet was in charge of everything. <laughs> Excellent. That, that reminds me. That's that's making me think like, okay, so The Matrix and Terminator, I feel like both franchises definitely contributed to cyberpunk, but I'm not sure if they quite fall under its umbrella. Um, I, I would say, oh, Matrix does. I wouldn't say yeah. Terminator does. Mm. They think, broadly share a lot of aesthetics, but I'm not sure how much of that can be attributed to cyberpunk and how much can be attributed to a certain era of... Uh, big studio sci-fi. I mean, that's fair. I, I think the that's thing with true. Terminator is like the first couple movies, not, no, definitely not. The first couple movies are like um, what I've described as urban sci-fi. You know, it, it's it's a realistic, modern, grounded setting. And also there's like crazy secret world shit happening involving time travel and robots. Uh, but then- I, like, I actually have as... only seen the first one. I haven't seen oh, the- Oh, what you should do is watch the first and second back to back because the first one is a horror movie and the second one is an action movie. And like, oh, I've seen yes. Salvation. As well. uh, n- <laughs> no, just T two is the best of the bunch. Uh, Terminator One is like a really well done horror movie. Like it's it's very formulaic, except that the killer is a robot from the future who wants to kill this random every woman because of what she might do in the future. Like that's that's a fun just twist a on kid. the basic premise. Yes, it's just have a yes. kid. Um, have a kid with the guy who got sent back in time. Oh, what a twist. Um, and it's just like, it's a fun little sci-fi twist on an otherwise very basic monster movie premise of like, it's the ridiculously persistent predator that you can't stop and you have mm-hmm. to keep out running. Like, that's a very basic horror movie premise. And then you watch the second one and it's like, Sarah Connor's back and she's fucking ripped now. <laughs> it's like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. It's like, you watch like the hapless every girl waitress and like she's in an asylum and she's fucking doing pull-ups every chance she gets so she'll be ready for the robot apocalypse. And I was like, this is the kind of character development I was not expecting, but is I should like have seen it. the Ripley change from one to two? Yeah, I mean, she's, similar she's thing. boss in the first one, but she's yeah. obviously it becomes an action film in the second. I mean, we really <laughs> need more horror movies where the final girl gets fucking jacked for the sequel, <laughs> comes back it's- with a shotgun. Horror movies like to oh. either immediately kill off their previous final girl in the subsequent sequel movie or make her buff. There's really only two possible routes for you if you are a final girl in a horror movie. You're either yeah. going to get fucking jacked or you are going to get murked in the cold open for the next movie and there's there's no yeah. movie. Yeah, there's really um, no way to do it. But I, I would I think... love to talk about horror movies more, but we are getting a little <laughs> no! bit off topic and a little low on time, <laughs> no! so I think we can move on to some <laughs> I I want, I had I had a point. I had about Terminator actually a point which is as the <laughs> oh, sequels as the sequels got closer to uh skynet you know like as mm-hmm. time crept up on it the settings started getting a little bit more cyberpunk you started getting like disco- like i think it's some of the recent ones like they made john connor a terminator somehow like they they stuck him full of nano machines or something <laughs> actually oh, should we okay is uh is Metal Gear Cyberpunk or are we getting a little too far off topic? We can't. We're, 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 we're gonna have to move on. No! <laughs> we're gonna move on. I'm sorry. We'll, I'm sorry. We'll have to have we'll have to have Tim back and we'll we'll talk specifically about you. We'll do. We, we got to do like a specialty episode just on talking about uh, which media properties are and are not Cyberpunk. We'll just make yeah. a list with definitive we'll answers. Up. We'll just get the, the Q and A people. We'll we'll just get the uh, Ask Goers Pod channel to be like, is this cyberpunk? Is that cyberpunk? 
For the record, oh, man. Metal Don't Gear Rising Revengeance is 100% cyberpunk. The main character has 95% of his body replaced, and you better believe he bitches about it. Even <laughs> though he did it on purpose. <laughs> you know what else you better believe? You better believe that we've got Pride merch in the store, everybody. <laughs> hey! Yeah, that's hey, the crowd made shop. The, uh, the, the crowd made shop. We've got a, uh, a uh, reprint of our... Uh, Every month is Pride Month if you allow yourself to be consumed by hubris design that was taken down from our Redbubble shop because Redbubble was like, we can't tell if this is supportive or homophobic. <laughs> so no. thanks, Redbubble. <laughs> but you Would can you say that you're, uh, that you're proud of this uh, design? <laughs> would, would... Oh, I'd say I'm extremely proud. Dangerously so, <laughs> one you'd even recommend. Uh, but yeah, uh, so it's not quite the same as it was on Redbubble. It is a shiny holographic design. The uh, text Ooh. is printed in two different holographic kinds of uh, ink or something. I, I don't exactly remember the process, but it's very pretty, and it's on our shop uh, for a limited time. You know, I just realized I need to make sure it's still going to be available when this episode goes up. Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. It's got five <laughs> days left on the counter. <laughs> okay. Whew, I was like, wait a minute. It's a limited time pre-order. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, no, we're, we're good. It'll, it'll have another couple days left when it goes up. Woo. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We'll have a link to uh, link to the Crowdmate page in the show notes below if you want to get your hands on one of those sweet hubristic t-shirts. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to be getting one, we're... and then I'm going to be uh, ripping the sleeves off because we couldn't get it on tank tops <laughs> because there is a tank top shortage somehow. That's hilarious so. because could you not just cut the sleeves off of t-shirts to create the tank tops you well, need? Well, the thing is, you know, tank tops aren't cut that way. You can get a perfectly respectable tank top by taking a t-shirt and ripping the sleeves off. I've done this at least once. But, you know, a tank top design, you know, it tends to be a little, little more scoop neck. The the back is a little bit differently shaped. So I get why they couldn't do it. But it is very funny to me that somehow we are experiencing a tank top shortage. <laughs> Truly, the dystopia has finally reached something I actually care about. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, right? I lived through oh, the tank top well. shortage of 2021. Hacked the sleeves <laughs> off my own turtlenecks to get by. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, we'll move on to some Q&A questions. Why, why don't we? Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron, and you could have your question read first on the podcast. This question comes from Luinator to Tim. What was the best, if there was anything good at all, part of doing the last Airbender video? <laughs> oh, Oh my yes, gosh! The finally. best part of it, uh, uh -huh. honestly, honestly, the best part of it would probably be being able to try a wildly different style, uh, mm. because mm. It, it can often feel like you know you, you're trying to keep the same audience and stuff like that to, and so you sort of feel like you have to stick to a certain formula a lot of the time. Um, but I I got to do a a wildly different kind of type of content to what I normally do, which was very exciting. Um, but also it, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty, um, like it was pretty easy to put together in, in the sense of like the script just sort of like, it's, it's stuff that sort of dwelled inside my head for a long time. <laughs> so free. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, basically living rent free. So I got to go, I just got to go, go ham on basically a film, which, which everyone hates. And it's, it was just, it was just fun. It was just fun. You know, like, I wonder oh, yeah, if there's anyone who likes that movie. Like, I've met someone! I've met someone! 
<gasps> what? I'm not even kidding. Yeah, I was at I was at a friend group. I was I was, I was with my friend. I was at a friend group. Like it's just someone's friend group. But it was <laughs> it's at, a location. It was, <laughs> it's, Java's uh, place. And um, a friend of mine said the the movie's fine. Kids like it. And. And and we and, and we we went in and she didn't back down. She didn't wow. back down. Wow. Yeah, I know. With respect. I, know. I okay. Here's the thing. I saw that movie in theaters before I knew that movies could be bad. So <laughs> I didn't have like a good time, but I didn't really understand why. Uh, I and get I was, that feeling. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely like, mm. oh, it's kind of cool how instead of doing the like how they have Iroh bring out like the individual pieces of each element and they each react to Aang's presence passively. It's kind of like they're doing that like Dalai Lama toy selection yeah. thing. That's kind of neat actually. And then at the end I was like, why didn't they do the thing with the ocean spirit? That's, why why yeah, wouldn't they do that? that? And then I was like, whoa, Azula, yeah. cool. <laughs> and then I walked out of the theater. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's not that I... I won't speak for all kids. I didn't enjoy it, but there were parts of it that I was like, oh, cool. And the rest of it wasn't so bad that it, like, it jarred my brain into realizing that movies could be bad. <laughs> but like watching it now, I'm like, wow, this is very poorly put together on every conceivable level. Like, uh, you just, how... It's more about realizing kids don't have standards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, like, how badly do you have to fuck up the scripting process such that 20 minutes into the movie, you have one of the characters ask another character what their name is. After referring to them by name in the narration of the movie they've been doing up until this point. It's like, did they use the first draft that they had? Someone was just in the writer's room and they like moved a post-it note to the wrong spot and like no one Mm. caught it. And then they just put the same name drop in later. It's like, oh, are we going to go back and fix that? No, no. Scripty's like, are you sure that this isn't a, an error? It's not It's not written anywhere. It's not it's like regular yeah. lines. Like, no, no, it's improv. Kids love yeah. improv. We're moving on. We're moving on, he says, throwing the script out of the room. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I would have just yeah. accepted if they called him Aang before that or Ong, whatever. Yeah. Like, I would have been like, oh, he probably introduced himself off screen. I wouldn't have been like, oh, plot hole ding. They didn't show him saying his name to them. So why would they know after uh. they've been traveling with him for weeks? <laughs> Oh yeah. So, so in conclusion, the best, the most fun part was that I got to try a wildly different type of content that I've seen, you know, other creators sort of indulge in that I don't usually mm-hmm. do. Which is, I mean, obviously it's very critical. It's a very high energy, uh, and it's, uh, you know, like just the gags, like the drinking and the the, the drugs and whatever. <laughs> that was that was all fun. Yeah, that would be that was the the thing that for me. Yeah. Best part of the last Airbender movie: the drinking. The drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. oh god all right this next question comes from aj illustrated are there any favorite books from your childhood that have continued to inspire you as an adult comics and graphic novels count too ah disc world series entire disc world series one thousand percent it's there are some things that i will like watch or read when i'm low on creativity and they just immediately like refill the tank disc world makes me want to write zero punctuation makes me want to make videos that's like those are my two things (laughs) um but, uh, let's see, other books. Oh, fucking uh, comic book, Usagi Yojimbo. Uh, I've oh. talked about this before. Uh, Stan Sakai, the guy who does it, is just incredibly good at like the really clean like ink work. Uh, I have actually gone back through his comics and occasionally used it as a clothing reference if I'm doing videos on like really, really ancient Japanese mythology. Because hmm. he had a couple issues retelling various myths and like 
He was using clothing that was like much older. He he really does his research, and it was easier than me doing my research. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, art really good. It's it's like probably the comic I recommend the most uh, for people who are interested in comics. <laughs> yeah, I um, I mean, whenever I need to like get the creative juices flowing, I I like to go back and reread the uh, Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye. I think that that's the best treatment of the character outside of like the Silver Age kooky quartet type stuff. What, what makes um, it great? What makes yeah. it great? It's it's very um, relaxed is the wrong word, but it, it it's a story revolving around Hawkeye and sort of his day to day existence as like a local sort of New York superhero in a way. Yeah. And it, it it's very it's a very internal story. So a lot of the the conflict is not so much that there are these goons that Hawkeye needs to go fight, but more. Um, that he needs to deal with his own uh, depression and sort of like burnout from his very intense Avengers job. It it paints Uh. him very much as an everyman. And it also features a few um, issues that are um, Kate Bishop focused, who is probably my favorite character in all of comics. Uh, She's also Hawkeye and it does her, it's her California run where she sort of goes on her like runaway teen road trip to rebel against her father. And also um, Clint, who's, you know, being a sad boy, uh, <laughs> and it's it's a surprisingly emotional story, this... and, it, and David, yeah. Oh, sorry, is this? I was just gonna ask, is this where they got the whole Hawkeye has a farm in the middle of Montana or whatever? Or no, what's that storyline? Uh, came out of freaking nowhere. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what that came with... out of. That came out of what was obviously an earlier draft of the script where the Avengers had oh. to go into hiding because Ultron actually took over a large part of the world. Uh, which is not an unfounded arc. Uh, like, they do that with Ultron a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, when they did it, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, he briefly had total control over the world's nukes and stuff like that. Uh, there's a there's a movie called, uh, I think, Next Avengers Heroes of Tomorrow, where the premise is Ultron fucking won, killed the Avengers, and That's... took over the world, and their kids have been raised by Tony yes. in, like, Wait, this hidden the... Arctic base. <laughs> the, the, like, faintest memories of this movie have just been, like, pulled from the dredges. I watched it two nights ago, because I was curious, and it's actually quite good. Like, Is it... Uh, Hawkeye's da- son. has a daughter, right? And then yeah. Hawkeye's son has, like, the white hair or something? Exactly, you know, yeah. Is it... Th- Thor's got a daughter, and she kind of has this existential crisis, because she's, like... She's got a complex relationship with her dad because Thor's not dead. He's just off in Asgard, like, ruling. And he won't, like, he won't send her a sign. He won't talk to her. And she's, like, she's kind of, like, being this, like, sort of poser. She's, like, she's got so much to prove. So she's talking in, like, fake Asgardian Shakespearean English. And, like, she's, like, I am immortal and indestructible. I'm going to go fight that robot. And the first time she gets slightly injured, she's, like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) Um, But, uh, so she goes through her own, like, speed run of Thor's unworthy existential crisis uh and uh comes through the other side stronger with a redesign and it's really cool um but in that one like ultron took over the world and killed everybody and it's like oh my god so clearly they had a draft of the movie where ultron was more than an extremely localized threat and the avengers needed somewhere to go to ground rather than somewhere to just hang out for an afternoon and like eat sandwiches and angst a little bit Mm -hmm. uh so Hawkeye was like, I know a place, so that they could build him up more with those fake death flags. So we'd be like, oh no, I hope they don't kill Hawkeye. And then they killed Quicksilver instead, an objectively more interesting character. Yeah, I look, Every time. Like one of my <laughs> favorite Avengers characters my whole life. But even I was like, they should have killed Hawkeye. <laughs> not Quicksilver. I, I liked the, the farm scene. I, I thought that was cool. I thought it was sweet. He had a family. I'm sorry. I mean, I thought it was kind of sweet, but like, I didn't like that movie, and I extra didn't like like 
The scene is good out of context, but the problem is looking at it, you can see the script notes where they were like, we're keeping the farm scene. It's like, but they don't need to go hiding anywhere. Ultron's not searching for them. No, we, we got to put them on the farm. Um, I swear. Well, uh, the fact that those movies teased that they were going to kill Hawkeye twice and both times they killed a character with more interesting arc potential oh, is frankly God. insulting. <laughs> I I just I like the farm scene and I like <laughs> Hawkeye. I, I Hey, I like Hawkeye too. It's just it's I funny like to me Hawkeye. that they really thought I liked him that much. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry for throwing us on this tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, no, not. no, this is good. It, the the MCU tangent is always bubbling under the surface and it's just a matter of like how how much just of it can seep of... out in any given episode. <laughs> This is recent. Uh, I, I recently wrote up and uh, worked on a video where I talk about, oh, let's just say some of the MCU's treatment of Black Widow. So Hawkeye gets mm. brought up uh, in that context. And uh, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. It's funny how they had her for 10 years and they couldn't figure out what to do with her. I, yeah, sorry. if you want to read like a good version of Hawkeye, and you want like an entry series that's not too long, it's like four of the um, trade volumes. You can go check out Matt Fraction's run of Hawkeye, and it, it's nothing like the MCU character. Uh, yeah, baby. But it is excellent, and it's also the, David Aja did the art for the first couple issues, and he's one of my favorite comic artists of all time. He's got this very Ooh. like minimalistic but complex style. It's it's sort of like sketchy all at once, and the color on it is fantastic. It's almost monochromatic, but not quite. Um, so I highly recommend it. But, mm. and, I, and whenever I like am not feeling particularly inspired, I'll go read that for like half an hour and then be like you know what actually i think i could like doodle a little bit or something i don't know hell yeah That's uh, but tim That's is there fair. anything yeah is there anything that you you know read or watched or played as a kid that still inspires you to this day okay so the, the, it's it's a bit complicated for me because i my my tastes in what i love and what i and what i consume now are so wildly different to what i i liked as a kid in the mm. sense I, I mean like the difference between what i create and you know how sometimes you you consume a lot of what you like to create mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah yeah what i what i consumed and what i wanted to create is very different to what i consume and want to create now so there are different lasting influences like obviously the last airbender was a mm-hmm. was a tv mm-hmm. show that influenced me a lot um ah. who would have thought right who would have thought <laughs> um, you avatar no you really no, wear it I well don't. i never would have guessed <laughs> <laughs> i try to hide it as best i can you know yeah no like it, it honestly in terms of what i write now which is i i'm working on a lot of like uh bizarre science fiction and then kind of like mental health focused young adults kind of fiction uh, I didn't consume a lot of that when I was a kid, so I don't I don't really have anything that has had a lasting impact on the types of things that I like to make. Uh, really, I'm sorry. No. I will actually. <laughs> I, I will say there's a as a related note. I've often found that when I start a project in a specific genre, I kind of become incapable of consuming media in that genre. Um, mm. So that like now that I've been working on like a high fantasy thing, it's like. I, you know, I know Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, but I, I feel like I can't revisit them. Um, oh, that's or like, fair. And I, I've been, like, playing with this urban fantasy concept I might try and do is like, an actual written book at some point, just because I cannot do two comics at once. I would die. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and I'd, like, can I I'd shrivel it? up can like a it? mummy. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Do you need, do you need beta readers? Can if and when that? this ever becomes a thing, <laughs> you'll be the first to hear about it. Yes. <laughs> but, like, Hell now I, it's, like, there was a period of time where I read through, like, seven or eight of the Dresden file books in one sittings, and then, then I kind of stopped just halfway through a book and just didn't pick it back up again, because that's how I roll. But now it's, like, if I'm working on this, I feel like I can't read that, because... 
it, it's like my, my brain is a sponge for these things and so if i put it on too many things that are related to the thing i want to do i'll absorb too much of how they did it and i yeah. don't want to do that so no I, I totally get that that's that's totally fair a, a lot yeah. of people feel that way I tend to, when I try to, like, create something, I tend to try and read, like, a lot of the stuff. I actually, I, I am somewhat more the opposite, though. I do try mm. to, like, consume a lot of the stuff um, in the area that I'm sort of trying to replicate to sort of find out the vibe. And, right. mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. Although I do know what you mean in the sense that I don't tend to watch a huge amount of people who make content on YouTube that's yeah. similar to what I make. Yeah. Which is something that I found is almost universally true. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I actually had a thing. Oh, man, this is actually about you. Uh, ages ago, I did a trope talk on dragons. Um, and while I was working on it, actually, Blue was like, hey, Tim's got a video about dragons. And I was like, I cannot watch that right now. I'm so sorry. Don't Also, don't watch it. It's not a good video. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Neither of them are. I, 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 so I was... Um, I was I, I, do, I have a book called On Writing and World Building, which basically compiles the scripts and notes of these videos into a book that people can reference as like a textbook. And I was doing, I, I, I've been going through it and I've been a lot more editorial with this second volume of that book. And I got to the Dragons videos and I kept trying to rework them uh, to where like a point where I could be happy with them. And eventually I realized that like the content in it's just, just either it's just not that good so I, i'm having to cut it from the actual book it's not going to be included Ooh, yeah i i honestly there's a reason why i don't go back to my old stuff because that instinct that is a universal artist instinct i um mm-hmm. i actually yeah. learned something about this in a class i took on materials and uh preservation of old art because it's like universally known in museums and stuff that if you have a painting and a little bit of it like chips off and shit, you don't send it back to the original artist to fix that little bit <laughs> because they'll repaint the entire thing. <laughs> this has happened. <laughs> um, That's so fascinating. It's like, I, I'll look at my old videos, but it's like when people are like, have you ever considered going back and editing it? I'm like, if I do, I'll be remaking it from the ground up. Uh, so I, I won't. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I can't, there are some videos which I, I, when I'm looking back, I can't put them in this, this volume too, because they just, they just can't, they just don't meet the standard that I'm happy mm. with. And a lot of it I'm like rewriting entirely just to, I, I've like torn out all of the examples that I used and replaced them with better ones. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyways, what's the next question? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, questions. We got more of those. Uh, this one comes from MJ Thaller 6 to Red and Tim. What is your favorite instance of a piece of media weaponizing its own tropes? Ooh. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's a that's a juicy one. I gotta oh, think about this one. <laughs> I've sort of got one because it's also one of my favorite books. Um, it, it's it's I mean it's it a it's not really weaponizing a trope. It's weaponizing the reader's perspective, and that's mm-hmm. kind of a trope, mm-hmm. which is I love it when authors. Uh, I love it when authors use reader perspective and their expectations of how a story is going to play out and turn it on their head to like reveal something about how you think, about mm. how the reader and how they, and, and they often do it through a character. Now, John Green does this in Paper Towns, which is where um, it, basically the character starts to believe that another character is depressed and suicidal and has taken themselves somewhere to end their lives. And... Uh, as, uh, and so so he is going to go and find her and save her. And that's the expectation that the character and the reader has. And it lures you into that, that perspective. And then uh, only when he finds the character does 
and she goes, Quentin goes, uh, what are you doing? Why are you finding me? I left so I could be alone, kind of, you know, like, and he goes, aren't you like this? And she, and she goes, no, I'm not. You interpreted all of these things through your personal mm. lens, your biases about what kind of person I am. Mm. And and it, it, it's, it's a story about how we can't really truly know what another person is thinking and feeling and that, like, inabri- unabridgeable gap between people. And I right. just, so I love it that he took that trope of, like, the main character going and saving you know, uh, this person that who is desperately in need of help uh, in this YA novel, kind of growing into that, and also what the reader wants and turning on your perspective that it's like, oh, it's about, oh, actually, I, I have a warped perspective, perspective of what this person's like. They are my idea of them, you know? Yeah, that's really Interesting. fun. I feel like uh, the genre that does this specific thing the most is mysteries, uh, because mm-hmm. there is always an element of misdirection in a mystery. Uh, that mm-hmm. it's not, it's not that the narration is unreliable exactly. It's that the audience is never allowed to have the full picture. Um, so like mm-hmm. I, I, again, I've got a video where I've been talking about this recently. So I, I recently like reread a whole bunch of mysteries and I've been watching so much Columbo. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and it's like, with a, I mean, it's such a good show, but like part of what makes that show really work is like, there's no mystery except in how it's going to be solved. It's like, we know everything that happens. We see every clue, every red herring. We know everything about the character. Then the question is just, how is this funny little Italian detective going to figure out what's going on and prove it? Because he, he always figures it out, like, so quickly. Like, immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, there, there's been a couple there where it's like, you think you know how he's going to solve it, and then he does something else. Uh, there was, um... There's actually a very early episode that I recently rewatched uh, that's a good example of that. It's called uh, Suitable for Framing. It's a cheeky pun because it's about <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, it's about a guy who like kills his uncle so he can inherit his art collection and uh, frame his uncle's ex-wife, who's currently the sole inheritor in the will, so that uh, she'll be disqualified and he'll get the stuff instead. Uh, and uh, at the end, uh, like, <laughs> Columbo is, Whoa. of course... Oh, we, we good? <laughs> Sorry, we yeah, both jinx. just said the word spicy. It's like a very I've weird seen. choice at the same time. Uh, quantum superpositioning of the brain cell. <laughs> you both got it for a split second. Um, but uh, so Colombo is just like following this guy around all episode. He's being perfectly civil about it. But the dude, I mean, th- like a lot of Colombo bad guys are kind of like sympathetic or like you kind of understand what they're doing. This guy's just a dick. Um, and Columbo's <laughs> right. just haranguing him the whole time. And at one point, the guy has the uh, has these two watercolors he stole from the, uh, or uh, some, he's got these two pieces of art that he did steal from the place. And he, uh, but he's pretending they're something else. And Columbo is like, ooh, these are very nice. Can I see them? And he like kind of picks them up. And the guy's like, ah, oh, hands off, detective. These are very important, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, uh, they, uh, uh, he frames the woman for having the paintings and he hides them in her linen closet and the detectives find them and they start dusting them for fingerprints. Uh, and uh, the the guy kind of realizes that they they aren't buying that the woman stole them and he's like, well, I uh, hate to break it to you, detective, but my fingerprints are all over those paintings. I helped my uncle hang them just last week. And the Columbus like, oh, we're not looking for uh, for your fingerprints. We're looking for my <laughs> fingerprints. And it's like, ooh. And uh, then, the, like, you can see the guy, like, the third act breakdown switch flips in his head. <laughs> and he's like, you, you just put your fingers on them just now. You just did. And Columbo pulls his hands out of his pockets and they're gloved and thus have been gloved this whole time. Oh. And then, like, that's the freeze frame the episode ends on because they don't need to show you the rest. Oh, um, that's, that's really cool. I, that, it's I didn't so realize fun. that they do that. They're just yeah. like, oh, well, it's solved now. Cut. <laughs> 
I mean, that's basically yeah. how it works. Like, Columbo never shows you more than it needs to. So it'll be mm-hmm. like, once we've gotten to the point where Columbo, like, can prove it in a court of law, we don't need to see the rest of it, which is just, mwah. So I, I guess that that's, I mean, that's clearly what's sticking in my head the most, because, like, I've seen a few stories that weaponize tropes, but a lot of them do it in a very, like, clunky way, where it's just kind of like, oh, you thought it was this, but it was me, Dio. And, and it's like, eh, okay. So, you know, <laughs> oh, kind of like linearly subverting the audience's expectations yeah. by going in the exact opposite direction. I, I like it better when it's a slight adjustment of perspective where if you, you know, rather than having to like take the vector and reverse it, you're just nudging it a little bit. And you're like, oh, it, it was this thing that's slightly to the left of what I thought it was. That's kind of neat. Um, uh, also, actually, we were talking about the Hunger Games, I think before the podcast started, but... Um, I I am actually in a minority where I really appreciated that the capital just collapsed basically without a fight. Like, uh, that that it turned a trope on its head. You know, the great, big, powerful dystopian government is actually not that powerful at all. I like that Mm -hmm. because it's it's kind of realistic that when revolutions actually succeed, it's because the government's already falling apart. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) You you think there's more infrastructure, but there's no infrastructure because people don't maintain... Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the the fact is, a lot of systems of power that are supposed to have like infrastructure and backups and safety nets, like if you know, if the system is working, the infrastructure and the backup and the safety nets never get any use, and thus yeah, people get true. overconfident, and then they frequently remove the infrastructure and the backup and the safety nets. And I'm not saying this is an American who recently lived through a global pandemic that <laughs> revealed that there was no infrastructure or safety net. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, it's that, that's kind of an important illustration of this, that like, if a system is doing mostly well, a lot of times people will remove the things that are there in case it doesn't go so well. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then if things go even a little bit wrong, you, you see the, the blocks shift and the cracks open up and you see the void you're hanging over and you're like, oh, cool. There's no safety net. I love it. Um, Mm. But what a yeah. comforting thought. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I do like that Hunger Games had, like, a a happy ending by its standards. Like, it wasn't, like, perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of people died. There was a lot of tragedy. I, I would have preferred it if, you know, Prue had made it through. Uh, is it Prue? Is it the sister? It's, uh, uh, no. Prim? You're thinking Prim? Prim. Prim. Prim? Is Prue the one Primrose. who dies yeah, in the Primrose. first one? Primrose, Primrose, Prue, Primrose Prue is the younger girl who dies in the first book oh, in the Hunger I, Games. I, think I can't believe I mixed those up. Well, I think it would have been better if Prim had survived. <laughs> because she was kind of like the whole... <laughs> We're creating our own Hunger Games OC well, right now. God damn it. I'm just saying, she was like she was the whole like inciting incident. It's like, oh, I'll save her. I'll go to the games instead. And then she dies in the end anyway. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. that's a bummer. I mean, I guess that's the point. You know, it, it's kind of like... Oh, God. I'm going to need to explain this. It's kind of like Animorphs uh, oh in that it is actually... No, no, <laughs> in that it is actually a deeply crushing oh. indictment of the terror of using child soldiers. Um, what? And the, the dystop- oh, I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. Have, did Animorphs? none of you know? None of you know this? Dude, I Animorphs is... The- I, I haven't seen any of this. Animorphs is the hardest <laughs> shit I read in fifth grade. Um... <laughs> It's like it 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 lures you in with its goofy ass Photoshop morph covers and like the ridiculous taglines, but it's actually about like, hey, if you're a group of a bunch of kids that are given this cool power to fight in an intergalactic war, that makes you a child soldier. <laughs> and it's like it doesn't end well. And the creator of that series, like, she's only gotten like spicier with time because she's like, hey, war, bad, very, very bad. Child soldiers, also bad. Nobody wins in this situation. Um, 
I mean, oh, wow, I, I can't, was I the only one who, like, looked at that cover and was like, hell yeah, I'll see what, what's in this book about this girl turning into a crocodile? <laughs> I don't think I ever got past the cover because then I would just stare at it trying to figure out how they decided on which steps to take to get from human to animal. Like, when you're looking oh, yeah. at the Photoshop cover of Animorphs, it's like, okay, there's in-between phases, but how do you pick what those in-between phases are, you know? And then mm. I never read the books, but wow, you guys are missing are out. <laughs> Learning some of the Animorphs' deep lore. Dude, it's wild. It's like when I was in fifth grade reading it, I was like, this makes sense. And now looking back, I'm like, they were children. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that's all. That's always good when you read it, like the YA fiction you read as a kid and were like, hell, yeah, these guys are heroes. And then you're like, oh, my God, what adult authorized this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, that's, um, I guess our <laughs> weaponized fiction is... um. A lot of it's in that YA space. Uh, this yeah. Next, yeah. We'll move on to another question. This comes yeah. from uh, Phantom Gamer. Two red, blue, and Tim. Uh, I, I guess I'll be blue. I don't know. <laughs> if you could pick anyone to collaborate with that you haven't yet, who would you pick? Oh, oh. that's so scary. <laughs> like anyone? Yeah. I guess. This makes me feel <laughs> no so vulnerable. Yeah. I, I don't want to open myself up to rejection like that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, hmm. Who do I even watch a lot of? Like, I actually think I don't even, it's not even the people I'd watch a lot of. Ah. Uh. I'm just thinking of like shooting the moon and being like, what like major historical figure? People have already added Tony Hawk on Twitter for me from my nightmare about him. Oh. Uh, so I feel like I gotta, at this point, I've got nothing to lose. <laughs> I, I feel like I could more easily answer which, like, person I'd love to, like, connect with because I don't do collaborations mm -hmm. a huge amount. And collaboration's, like, a very specific type of interaction. Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess it's, like, yeah, like, professionally connect with and, like, maybe work on something together with or guest on something they're doing with yeah. or mm -hmm. vice versa. Like, that. that's a much more... <laughs> because, like, collabs are, ooh, tricky. Um, yeah. Well, who's, uh, like, a, another creator that you guys might be interested in, like, connecting with in that case then? Kind of scale back. <laughs> I, I would I would love to connect with Savannah Brown. She is mm. a uh, she's a short story writer who kind of she was she was on YouTube in like the early days, and um, she's very gifted and huh. uh, very skilled. Uh, and I appreciate the way she makes content. I guess. Uh, or alternatively, uh, I'd love to meet the Shut Up and Sit Down team. They're like the board game, the biggest board gaming <laughs> channel on YouTube. And actually, Qu Quinn's does follow me on Twitter. Oh. Who's like the main guy? But we haven't actually talked. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm too, I'm too, I'm too afraid to actually message him. <laughs> I I know that feel. Um, Twitter I mean, mutual, uh, mutual limbo. My my yeah. uh, shooting the moon answer is I want to hang out with the entire cast and crew of Critical Role, but you know that's just oh. me. Um, that's that's oh just gosh. like I think they'd be so they're so cool. Um, yeah, that's that's but, how kind of how I feel about um, uh, Mike Trap because there's nothing I want more oh, than to be on them actually. Dude. And so just like my shoot the moon is like God, let me be on right. the show. <laughs> okay. Also, the entire cast and crew of College Humor. Uh -huh. <laughs> dude, Brendan Lee Mulligan is so cool, oh. and I like so much of what he works. I, I read through all of that web comic he writes a uh, strong female character like in one sitting in one very weird evening like a couple months ago and i was like this it doesn't surprise me that this came from his brain but at the same time oh my god <laughs> oh, incredible yeah. i i haven't watched enough of critical role but i mean obviously matthew mercer's made waves everywhere oh absolutely mm -hmm. uh and like i 
I mean, they are a big part of why D&D is hitting the mainstream as hard as it is, because it's like, it's like, they're like, we're just a bunch of nerdy ass voice actors. It's like, no, you are a bunch of like incredibly beautiful people who are also like the voices of 90% of everybody's childhood. Yep. <laughs> so, um, exactly. It's like, if you had encountered the Smexy Matt Mercer voice somewhere as a child, yeah, of course. it's just whether or not you remember where you encountered it. Look, if I'm they, if look they hooked up. in, uh, <laughs> If they hooked in Steve Blum and Dee Bradley Baker, they would get, like, 99% of every voice. And Jennifer Hale. 99% Mm -hmm. of every voice role ever made. Um. (laughs) Oh my gosh, he's... Oh, wait, no, I don't listen to the Attack on Titan. I listen to the the sub, (laughs) so I don't actually Uh, hear him. He he was, um... What's his uh, name? uh, Levi. Levi, Uh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. he's Levi. He had, a, he had an anecdote about auditioning for that, because, uh, of course, it's Attack on Titan. There's a lot of yelling about murder and such. Uh, so mm-hmm. he was living in an apartment at the time uh, and was doing the reads for it, which involved several reads of the line of, like, you know, something, something, I'm going to kill you. Uh, and he, uh, <laughs> after he was done, he realized that the party that had been happening next door had quieted down significantly. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he, he sort of walked over and introduced himself oh, and was like, incredible. so I'm a voice actor. And they were like, oh, good, nobody got murdered. <laughs> so... I- I've actually only found one thing that he's been in. Uh, no, 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 two things. Oh, oh. Two things. Yeah, he was he was the male Norn voice actor for Guild Wars Two. <laughs> 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 uh, and he was also uh, the uh, a voice actor for uh, Stars of Mylos, the Full Metal Alchemist film. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Wait, you haven't yeah. you haven't played any Overwatch? He's McCree. I don't play Overwatch. I, I mean, to I'm be not, fair, okay. neither do I. But like, I am not good enough at games to play anything <laughs> remotely competitive. That's fair. Oh, uh, good stuff. All right. Well, we yeah, got the, one the, last. Uh, oh, go sorry. ahead. Oh, I was just oh, going to say the moon shooting answer, critical role, the less moon shooting answer, but still moon shooting. College humor, <laughs> entire casting crew. <laughs> really, really, college humor. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair. Fair. All right. All right. They're just so cool. I like their stuff a lot. <laughs> you know mm. how it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we're coming up on time. We got one last question actually left for us by our, our dear, totally not tied up in one of our closets, friend Blue. <laughs> <laughs> very considerate of him. Yes, very, very kind of him to uh, slide me a note under the door. Uh, this one comes... <laughs> uh, he asks, of all the chairs in history or fiction, where would you place one whoopee cushion for maximum damage? <laughs> oh. oh which I think is oh, just a fantastic question. <laughs> Sorry, did he say history and fiction or just history? Yes, so e- either okay. or. Okay. Either or. I'm trying to think of, like, famous paintings of important moments. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, has anyone <laughs> here watched the 2001 animated movie Metropolis? Uh, oh, yeah. Based on uh, ver- the works of Osama Tezuka, but not his actual Metropolis work. Mm. The plot's very different. Um, no. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a very... It's a very nuanced, it's kind of cyberpunk. It's a very nuanced exploration of what it means to be human. Uh, of course, the uh, the main character is a is a regular guy, uh, and he finds this mysterious girl who is obviously a robot. Uh, she doesn't realize. When she does realize, she has a full-blown existential crisis and tries to destroy the entire world with nukes. Uh, and there's this bit, basically they made this throne for her, right? <laughs> they, oh, they made her ah. this throne. Uh, and after she's had her crisis about actually being a robot, she goes to said throne <laughs> and i just think <laughs> that scene would have been a lot more impactful 
before, if before she got like hooked into the system and turned fully evil and took control of the world's nuclear power and like the ability to irradiate the entire planet with a sunspot she creates with a laser, I just think That's... one last burst of comedy. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I the, uh, the, the soundtrack to the main ex, uh, destru- destruction of that base is just Ray Charles uh, performing "I Can't Stop Loving You" with almost no sound. Oh uh, it's it's incredibly haunting. And uh, there's a bit where, of course, she's uh, the the guy is still trying to get through to her, even though her humanity is at war with her robotic self. And there's a bit where he's holding on to her, and she's about to fall, and she says. Who am I? And then she falls into the abyss. And I feel like adding a whoopee cushion noise to that scene would also make it greatly improve. <laughs> really transcendent. I... Okay. I think I have my answer, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is uh, Genghis Khan has a throne. And the moment that he sits down on his throne... It would be there, because with the humiliation he suffers in this moment, it would for- cause the collapse of the Mongol Empire. And <laughs> that would, of course, have far-reaching ramifications, which would end with me being World Emperor. Uh, <laughs> oh, the butterfly effect. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, how it works. That's, that's it. That's how I would do it. That's, that's I, my maximum max damage. damage. I just worry that Genghis Khan is a little bit too, like, self-assured. Like the first person who like snickers at the uh, at the fart noise gets just instantly <laughs> beheaded, and after that nobody speaks of it again. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a fair. bit of a it's a bit of a risk. Like, you can't really become a character like Genghis Khan without being just unflappable and like one hundred percent assured in who you are. <laughs> I mean, I, when you've got a whole empire that you just sort of casually took, you know, I suppose yeah. it would be easy to feel that way. Yeah. Then again, I mean, you know, if if word begins to spread, get a bit of a Midas yeah. has ass's ears situation, you know, the rumor spreads that I heard one time Genghis Khan ripped a really wet one, like in the middle of a, <laughs> oh, me- of a war meeting awful. with his generals. <laughs> why would you? Just, why did you have to describe it as wet? Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I thought we were trying to undercut the Mongol Empire. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Oh, so it sounds like you need to drop the whoopee cushion, but would, like have Red be the PR agent somewhere in the crowd, oh. planted, <laughs> planted in the crowd to spread rumors like the next day. The emperor's got That's no fair. clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Still need to watch that film. Uh, Emperor's New Clothes. Yeah, I haven't seen it. They made a film of that. Are we wait? Are we talking about Emperor's New Groove? Oh, I. <laughs> These are two very different stories. <laughs> The Emperor has no groove! <laughs> you should watch The Emperor's New Groove because it's a, a great movie, but it, it's oh, not the story should. of the Emperor with the, you know, invisible clothes or whatever. I mean, it's clearly <laughs> based on it, kind of. Uh, yeah. Emperor's New Clothes. Uh, oh, oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I just remember he gets turned into a llama. Yeah, that's that's and New then... Groove. Emperor's New Clothes <laughs> yeah, is just a folktale. It's about, uh, it's about groupthink and the importance of dissenting against authority. <laughs> and, and that's also what Emperor's New Groove is about? Well, I mean, if you squint. <laughs> I'm sure you could I, interpret it that way. I mean, that's kind of Yzma's perspective, but she is also the villain. Um, yes. Everyone who's watched Emperor's New Groove needs to go on YouTube and look up Snuff Out the Light, Emperor's New Groove, because it's an unused track from when the when the movie had a more serious plot, because they have Eartha Kitt as the villain, but they don't let her sing in the main movie, which is a crime. So, mm. but she had a music, uh, a musical number from when the when her evil plan was to extinguish the sun, 
um, because it was giving her too many wrinkles. <laughs> That's incredible. It's so funny. Uh, and it's a, a, it's a fucking villain. banger. Snuff out the light. Everybody should listen to it. So good. Yeah, I've got it up now. Ah, oh. <laughs> oh, hell Amazing. yeah. Uh, if we're talking where we're dropping whoopee cushions for maximum damage, uh, there's so many good options. There's so many, like, boring movies that could benefit from just at least one whoopee cushion in them to kind of, like, pull you back in and really center mm-hmm. you when you're watching it. Definitely. But I think I gotta talk about the cursed series, and which of course I mean Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> I mean that's oh. the obvious answer. Yeah, there are two points in Game of Thrones where I think it could benefit from a whoopee cushion. One, the obvious answer is whenever Daenerys sits on the throne in the last season, because <laughs> at th- at this point we're already so far gone that I think a whoopee cushion would just fully launch the show into <laughs> the it's realm like the... of joy that it failed to reach. It's like that Starbucks cup they left in the shot. Someone left their whoopee cushion lying around. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And they couldn't go in and ADR it out, so they had to use it. Mm -hmm. The alternate answer is to fully redo the plot of the whole show by placing a single whoopee cushion. And that's by, it's not on a chair, but if you put a whoopee cushion, and spoilers for episode one, I guess. (laughs) But if you put a whoopee cushion at the bottom of the tower that Bran gets pushed out of. So that when he falls on it, it alerts nearby folks that someone has just fallen out of the tower. (laughs) And draws a t- before the the twins are able to make their escape from the area. I just you could fully nuke one of the plot lines of that show right out the gate with a single whoopee cushion, and I feel like that's, that's a lot of true. damage right there. You hear that? How yeah. it should have ended? <laughs> <laughs> I want that video on my desk by eight. <laughs> <laughs> I I like yeah. it. That one's good. Yeah, that one's no, pretty no, good. I, I think it would be better if it was like a really really big. Like a yes. crash pad size whoopee oh, cushion. Oh, so, so he, he doesn't even like get an airbag. Even that. Ba- yeah. Oh, great. He, he, he just survives. like, we hear like mm-hmm. a massive fart noise and then everyone comes out and he's just like, the prince just pushed me out of the tower. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Incredible. And, you, Incredible. and you would not believe what they were doing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Some kind of special grown up fun time, I think. <laughs> I'm 12. I don't know. <laughs> There's no uh, way Brand didn't know by that. He wasn't twelve at that time. He think and the think in the books he's like eight at the start or something. Oh, I don't know. But it is Game in of Thrones. Book, it's a very sexed up world. Brand so. Age <laughs> one. I mean, Daenerys is like thirteen or something in the first hmm. book. Yeah, which is why they aged her up. <laughs> he's ten in season one of the show. He's seven hmm. in the books. He's oh seven God. In the books. Hmm. Yeah. So maybe you wouldn't know. Yeah, I I don't know if there's an acceptable age to push someone out of a tower and paralyze them (laughs) for life. Seven still feels worse to me than 10 or 12. Um, (laughs) I mean, like... I don't want to, like, play the oppression Olympics, but I feel like, um... Oh, no. That whole age range feels nebulous at best. Yeah. Um, Red, to give you a little warning, we're coming up on time, so I don't know if you want to prep your outro. Nah. (laughs) I'm yeah, in too deep. Yeah, Why true, would I start yeah, now? Oh, Tim, last time you were here, the outro went pretty smoothly. So you haven't, I don't know if you've experienced it recently, but Red's been winging it a lot. And, uh, you know, she's gotten pretty good at it. But uh... It's harder than finding the chat that has the thing in it. <laughs> I I think there's some beauty in the chaos. You know? yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we only we have so many bits sp- on this show. <laughs> <laughs> if you let us go on more tangents, we'd have an infinite number of bits. Exactly. Yeah. Spiraling in its beauty. Endless length of show for me to cut afterwards. Hell yeah. Okay, uh, so uh, 
I suppose, to wind this sucker down. Uh, <laughs> thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you liked this episode and you want to hear more, uh, there is more. Who knew? Uh, uh, which you can find presumably on whatever distributor you're listening to this on. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just mm-hmm. more. There's usually a little link that's like, this show, more episodes, please. And then you can click it and it gives you more episodes. It's it's wild. Technology is amazing. Uh, if you have a question you want to ask, uh, we have the Ask OS Pod channel on our Discord, which I believe is linked in the show notes. Uh, I think we're also we're also going to drop a link to the, the Cyberpunk video in the show notes. So if you want to check that sucker out, and you should, uh, that'll be there. Um, uh, okay, until next time, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I've been Red. Blue will be back once he uh, untangles himself from that closet. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, this has been an overly sarcastic podcast, I think. I sure hope we have. Hell yeah. We're not sure at this point. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on July 21st, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube and Patreon. Got a question for the show? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance to be featured on air next episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And for more on our guest, Tim, check out the links to his channel in the show notes below.